So I've created an error in our bulletin today. I didn't include a kid's corner in there. Actually, I had another thing in mind for the kids. But in case you didn't notice, I came with kind of a gaggle of 11-year-olds back here today. So I'm going to go back here, and we're going to do our kids' corner, but I'm going to do it from back here. So kids don't have as far to go. Janet, if you want to come too and join us. So these are, these are Owen and... Uh, <laughs> Owen and Bronson and Damien, and of course you know Ben. So anyway... Um, have a seat, Owen. We're just going to, I just have a couple questions for you today. And they go kind of like this. I've got to be careful I don't get too close to that speaker or it's going to start doing that. Like that. So, here's my question. What's more valuable, your favorite toy or your pet? Yeah, I would hope so, right? And everybody answers pet almost immediately, right? So even like if a horrible thing happened, like if your house got on, caught on fire, you'd be willing to go after your dog maybe, your dolly not so much, right? But what is it about pets that give them such value? They're alive. Okay, that's a good start, but you know, I'm sure you probably have a couple ants in your kitchen that are alive, which you... <laughs> Oh, they don't count because they're insects. Is that the... No, okay. Every living being is a living being, and loss of life would be terrible. That's true. But there are animals that, you know, for example, we, we sometimes eat animals, right? So we don't really have a problem with that part. Well, somebody had to do, though. You're right about that. I'm glad there's butchers and we could say a prayer about that some other time because that wouldn't be a job that I would want to do. I don't want to get acquainted that well with my dinner. But <laughs> here's what I'm getting at. When it comes to our pets, there's a special connection with them in here, right? And we call it love. And what makes it so valuable... So... You know, why is it so valuable when it comes from your dog as opposed to, how many of you, Janet Noel, do you have like a doll that you have a button on or something that you can press and it talks to you? Or <clears throat> So help me out here, old timers. Maybe you remember this. I'm sorry, I count myself in that category. Um, but, uh, you know, it seems to me that back in the day we had dolls that you could pull a string and as the string wound back in, the doll said, I love you. Yeah. Chatty Cathy. Uh, yeah, Chatty Cathy. That's the one. God, wow. That was pulling one out of, yeah, whoa. So, you know, how come it isn't the same when you pull the string and the doll baby says, I love you. I love you. I love you. But when your dog comes to you when you come home, what is it about that? They give love back, and it's really genuine. It's from them. It's not programmed in there. And your dog is a lot like we are. It's kind of a free spirit. It doesn't have to do. It chooses you, right? So now, I want you to take that position and kind of think about this at the same time. Now, 
maybe this has also changed in your generation because you guys have the internet and you can meet somebody at summer camp and keep in touch with them forever. But back in our day, when, when I was a little boy, you know, those people, once the week was over, they were gone. You know, you didn't see them again. You didn't have any communication with them. And in fact, when I was a high school student, I went overseas for a year on exchange. And one of the first questions I had about that is, how do you make friends and really make good friends when you know that these are people that you're never going to see again? And that really was the situation before the internet, right? And I got a good piece of advice from somebody, and it went like this. It was actually one of the leaders in that program said, love people to the full anyway. It's always worth it. You're, you can't experience the fullness of life without that love. And if you withhold it because of a short situation, you know, because one day this person isn't going to be there anyway, you miss the best part of life. And so I want to tie that in to our pets today because everyone, of course, knows that, you know, unfortunately our pets just don't live as long as we do, right? But don't we love them fully while they're here? And that's the right thing. Could you imagine not loving your dog quite as much because it's so temporary compared to the rest of your life? Of course not. Anyway, I wanted to start, talk to the big people now. Thank you for uh, indulging me here. Thank you, girls um, and gentlemen. <clears throat> so now, actually, I'm going to have to do this one totally off the cuff because this came, what I want to say first, came around too late to even add it into my sermon. I found this at breakfast time this morning, and I'm anxious to learn more about it. But apparently there's a new theory in, in science, and this isn't going to be so much a science lesson. I want to tie it into nature. It goes like this. You know, every morning the birds begin to sing. You know, and I know when I was younger, I had to window next to a tree and I just used to wish they'd let me sleep a little while longer, especially in the summertime. But it turns out that we've discovered something that goes like this. The, the voice of the bird singing resonates with the plant so that the plant leaves open their stomata wider. That is, the plants breathe better when the birds are singing. How about this idea? So, knowing that, we did a couple of experiments and the results of these are beginning to come in now. We had a farmer that wired up a cornfield with speakers to play birds chirping and singing all day long through 15 foot tall corn. So, that produced twice as much, twice as many ears. So, I mean, this is preliminary and more things need to, of course, be studied on that before it's probably pronounced uh, true or whatever. But the, the point that I'm trying to make with it is that nature and God's creation 
works together in ways that we haven't even imagined. Isn't that amazing? You know, what, what kind of mind God must have to imagine birds that sing to plants and plants that respond to birds? How amazing. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It just seems entirely fitting on the occasion of our first service in 2023, back here outdoors in the grove, closer to creation and nature, it seems fitting to preach a sermon about God's creation and his special love for it and for the life he created in it. From the Genesis 1 creation story, we learn that all living things in the world are God's workmanship, that he's pleased with them, that they're good, and taken together, his creation is very good. Elsewhere in the Bible, we learn that animals are his beloved creatures too, in Job 12, 7. And we know that God, they recognize God as their provider. Psalm 50, 10 and 11 says that God loves the animals. And Psalm 36, and 36, 5 and Matthew 6, 26 informs us that God cares for the needs of, of the animals. From our second reading, even as man has dominion over God's creation, it seems to me that we're called to be people after God's own heart. That is, reflectors of God. We're called to reflect his love, his care, and his concern for creation and the life in it. Our dominion is strength, and it gives us, it comes with the kind of moral obligation that comes with seeing the needy child or the orphan. We know we have a responsibility to care. We can't just walk away and turn a blind eye. And so the righteous person, we're told in Proverbs 12.10, the righteous person knows the needs of his animals. And Proverbs 27.23 takes it a step further. He knows the needs of his animals, puts his heart into caring for his animals, is not cruel to animals, and basically uses his dominion to be a good steward of God's creation. So now, back to Genesis a second here. Genesis 2.19 describes humanity's first act in our dominionship in this creation, kind of our first role as co-region on earth. And it was to do this. It was to name the animals. Now this act, I think, is more than it appears at least appears to us in our modern understanding. You see, the ancient understanding of naming something was actually a creating event. We're helping God create in naming in this way. To create is to bring something from chaos into creation, to assign it meaning and purpose. So naming is basically akin to bringing something into existence in creation in the sense that it now exists in the created order. 
it, it, it exists by fulfilling its assigned role in the created order. On a kind of side note to that, when we name our pets, you know, it makes our pet unique to us, and it gives a new level of depth to the relationship with the animal. It gives the animal a sense of independence or individuality, at least in our own minds. So now, let me go back a second here, because I want to kind of get at something with this. In our modern world, we would say that a cow exists because it's physically there. But in the ancient understanding, the cow exists because it serves a purpose in the created order. It pulls plows, it gives milk, it, you know, it, it's livestock. Um, and actually, in most cases, animals are even named for their role in the, in the created order. Um, and, and kind of an odd way to think about this, we would think that if something isn't in creation, it doesn't physically exist at all. But that isn't quite the ancient understanding. Things could exist, they could actually physically be, but they weren't brought into the created order yet. The, the sea is chaos. Out there, far out in the ocean, is beyond creation in, in the kind of biblical mindset. Anyway, the cow exists actually not for the purpose of giving milk as we might think. The Hebrew name that reflects the cow's purpose is actually para. Now para means to be fruitful. Actually, it's the verb stem of that is the same one to be fruitful and multiply. So it seems almost like a strange name for cows. Um, but of course, being fruitful includes offspring. And it probably stems from the fact that in ancient pagan world, even prior to Judaism, the cow was seen as the symbol of fertility and motherhood. So now, I have a funny side note on this. and I want to take this detour just because I enjoy it so much. So, um, you know, every language has its quirks, and Hebrew does too. And Hebrew has this convention where if you put two words back to back, it, it usually means something different than the word by itself. And this one is just one that just kind of gets my funny bones, because funny bone, while we're on the subject of cows. Anyway, as an example to this, the Hebrew word for day is yom, like yom kippur. But if I say yom yom, I'm not talking just day day. What I'm talking is what we would say in English, day by day. Okay, and I can do this with other Hebrew words too. Sof is end, but I could say sof sof, and it means finally, or the kind of end of, of the end, you know, right? Well, I could do this with para also, with cow, kind of cow by cow, you know, para, para. Actually means one at a time in Hebrew. And I just, for whatever reason, find that kind of funny. That's the only reason I'm throwing that in there. But, you know, so cow by cow. <laughs> so let's do this cow by cow. Anyway. Um, 
In any event, while we're in Hebrew names and Hebrew words, two last things. The first is the Hebrew word for dog. And that word is Caleb, actually. And, you know, we've got kids running around by that name also. But, uh, you know, Caleb actually means all heart. And it employs kind of another Hebrew convention. You know, to add all to anything makes it superlative, which puts it kind of into God's domain. So all heart can also be translated as the heart of God or exemplifying the heart of God. So dog exemplifies the heart of God. How about that? So sorry, cat owners, I can't do such a good job with cat. Cat is chateau, which means soft, flexible. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, best I got for you. Um, so we're also here today for a pet blessing, and blessing itself comes from the well-known Hebrew word shalom, and shalom is peace, of course, but it's not peace in the sense of an absence of war, and rather peace in the sense of an absence from fear, and the fear that blessing gives us is an absence of peace so that we're free to live life to the fullest in the absence of fear that only comes from knowing God's all-surpassing peace. In this way, when we bless something, it enables us to fully commit our lives and our heart without fear, without fear of loss. It's this peace that we seek when we offer a blessing or ask for one. Well, the Bible isn't specifically clear on the eternal condition of animals. Animals do show up in the heaven story. There are lambs and horses and lions there. But I want to go back a second to the creation story one last time and visit it this way. Animals are described in essentially the same terminology as people. Nefeshaya means living souls. Um, we often translate it as living beings in English, but nefesh is really soul. And animals in Genesis 120 and 124 are as nefesh as man is in Genesis 2.7. Their form, the same as we are, the dust of the earth. So the purpose of today's service is actually a pet blessing to allay all fears, to allay all things that would impede relationship to the fullest with our animals. 